1: Game two of 162. It feels like Groundhog's Day. We said that yesterday. We're back for it again today. The weather in Cincinnati looks like it'll hold up this time. Craig Riley alongside Jack Sorensic. It is Pirates preview for Pirates Reds, the same matchup we talked about yesterday, Jack. We've got Trevor Williams and Sunny Gray on the mound. What's on tap? Brought to you by Coors Light and Mike Antonis and Tony's in Moon in Bridgeville. We'll get you today's lineup, talk more about that pitching matchup as well, and take a look around the league and preview, like we said, game two of 162. But, Jack, like I said, it feels like we're previewing the same game we talked about yesterday.
0: Well, it is. You know, if I could sing like Sonny and Cher, the groundhog thing, I would do it, but uh, I don't have Cher's voice. Well, I knew and, and you were we know singing. Son- yeah, but we know Sonny can't sing, so what's the difference?
1: Well, today's weather report is brought to you by WeatherSeal Home Services. Just $1 down can get you new windows. The reason we're getting to that so early today is because of the weather conditions this team's playing in. Rained out yesterday, Rob Beer, Temple of the Trib says from the Cincinnati Reds PR, it's currently 32 degrees in Cincinnati. Today's game could be the 10th at Great American Ballpark to start with temperatures in the 30s. Jack, you look at games, it seems like the beginning of the season the last few years now We've had a lot of rainouts, a lot of delays. Guys playing in these really cold conditions. How much does that impact these guys on the field? Like a pitcher going to the mound, does it weigh into his approach to the game? Does the weather dictate it that much?
0: I think weather has an effect. Has a fact is a factor no matter what. I mean, you think about whether it's really wet, damp, uh, cold temperatures. No question about it. I mean, hitters don't want to hit in cold temperatures. You'll see guys with stocking hats on or some type of different kind of wear that they would use, and you'll hear a lot of guys. Last year, when Pittsburgh started out well, like they did, a lot of guys said, "Well, let's just wait till the weather warms up because baseball is a warm weather, warm weather sport." I'd always thought about this. Of course, it wouldn't be a factor today, but I thought that Major League Baseball could do the fans a favor by saying every game in April should be a day game. Period. Yeah. Unless you're playing in, in, you know, if you want to play in Toronto inside, Milwaukee inside, I get that, or in the Southern states, but. You're playing above the Mason-Dixon line. You're playing in some very cold weather. I remember a few years ago. You remember this? When I was in Milwaukee, we had uh, there was like three games snowed out in Cleveland, and they actually had to come to Milwaukee to play one of the games because they they couldn't uh, they they couldn't get the games in Cleveland because of snow on the field. So, you know, to make those to make those kind of um, you know. I guess substitutes, whatever you want to call it, to, to the game. It's a warm-weather game. That's just the way it is, and you're playing it in some very difficult temperatures, and it affects everybody, it affects pitchers and hitters.
1: And it stinks when you have to move your game from your home ballpark to somewhere else because it's adding another variable to that team that for their 81 games that year they weren't supposed to have to deal with, and now all of a sudden they're playing somewhere else. I think we've seen in Colorado games just totally snowed out with like a foot of snow on the field.
0: Well, when I was in Milwaukee, before uh... – uh, they had the new ballpark, which, of course, has the roof. We would be watching the Cubs playing, you know, an hour and a half down the road, snowing like crazy, you know, guys with gloves on and guys with, like I said, the the hoods on, you know, underneath their, their caps. And you're thinking, like, that's unbelievable. You know, it's like 32 degrees, and wind's blowing in Wrigley Field. And we're sitting up inside of a dome in Milwaukee going, thank God for this dome.
1: Now, one other thing I wanted to ask you about to – talk about the start of the year. We saw the game played in Tokyo between the Mariners and Athletics. It was in the middle of spring training. They played two regular season games, then went back to spring training. Did you deal with that when you were in Seattle? You guys played games like that too?
0: We did. We opened up, uh, played Oakland also out there, and it's a wonderful trip. It's a great experience for the players, great cultural experience. Fans are incredible. We played an exhibition game and then two regular season games against Oakland, and it's a treat. Uh, if you've never experienced the Japanese fans, it is something to be be noted. Uh, tremendous fans, but the per, the reason you do it that way is the, the baseball wants to sp- spread the game worldwide. We have a huge base in Japan. Baseball, where they love Major League Baseball. Sumo wrestling and baseball are the two national sports. <laughs> you know, um, but but the issue is because of the time difference and because of the jet lag, you can't play it on a day you would open here or a day before you would open here, come back and expect your guys to be uh, ready to compete and, and well-rested. So that's why they would go out a, a few days ahead of the end of spring training. That way you can give your team a chance to come back, regroup, get reaccustomed to being back into this time zone. And, uh, you know, it works. It's a, it's a little bit odd, if, if you will. But uh, we enjoyed it. And I know when I left Seattle, one of the things they were hoping that they would get invited back because it's such a personal experience for the players and for the uh, for the organization as a whole.
1: And that was gonna be one of my questions is having to disrupt the flow of spring training and play two games that could be the difference between in the playoffs or out at the end of the year. Is it worth that to grow the game that way? And is it the players look at it like, okay, this is different. It puts us in a bit of a bind, but it, it, in the overall scheme of things, totally worth it. That I didn't. Fi-
0: yeah, I didn't find it to be a, a real inconvenience. It's just a few days ahead of time. It is right at the very end of spring training. It is different in the fact that it is not a traditional opening day, but the experience of being out there and the way you're treated. I mean, you think about it. We go out there. You have banquets that you go to. You go to. It's it's just the the whole the whole aura. Of of being there and and really quite frankly the way they embrace it the Japanese fan base and the way the media embraces it it was an, a great great experience so to me I think anyone that has an opportunity to participate in that uh, the the little bit of inconvenience uh, is well worth the experience
1: and that's what my big question was so uh, it's great to get that answer that from the club perspective totally worth it because I thought looking at it from my perspective that players are sort of about that routine and doing the same thing over and over so disrupting it that much i didn't know if it'd be worth it to them so it's really interesting to me to find out that it is
0: well you think about the nfl you know you want to talk about flying to europe you know playing a playing a football game in europe where you have less days you know you don't have the chance to come back it doesn't change your schedule any you got a seven day between one game to the next you're flying to to uh, europe to play a game and then coming back so You know, As I said, it's well worth the experience, and and it is not that much of an inconvenience.
1: That's why we turn to you for these questions, because I've never even been that far east to say, let alone Tokyo, to talk about making that trip and the conditions the guys have to play in. So it's great to get that insight from you. Now we want to talk about our tip of the hat brought to you by Dad's Hat PA Rye Whiskey, farm-to-bottle rye the right way. The tip of the hat, Jack, for me goes to Paul Goldschmidt of the Cardinals. Have you seen the start he's gotten off to this year? Go ahead. Fill me in became the sixth player in the last 100 years and the first Cardinal to have a three-home-run game within the first two games of the season. And this is a guy that the Cardinals traded for this offseason then signed him to another five-year deal, $130 million, the largest contract in Cardinals history. I've heard you talk about Goldschmidt before pretty glowingly. What is he going to mean to this division, being there game in and game out? Because we saw what he did to the Pirates at times with the Diamondbacks, but now having to face him 19 times a year.
0: Tony La Russa called him the perfect player when he was in um, uh, when he had him in in, uh, in Arizona when mm-hmm. Tony took over out there as president of the club. Everything that you want out of a player, he does. Number one, he's a great locker room guy. Number two, he's tremendous work habits. Always prepared. Does everything that you'd want a guy to do. Let alone the fact that he's a Gold Glove first baseman. He's a you know, thirty double, thirty home run guy about every single year. He's a terrific player. So what's he going to do to the division? He brings a superstar to the division. All right. What does that do to the Cardinals? It gives them another bat in the lineup to sit right beside Carpenter. So uh, great addition for the Cardinals. He deserves everything that he's getting paid. He's a terrific
1: player. And you look at that lineup where he's going to get penciled, and they have him hitting second.
0: And And here's a killer of this too. The draft that he went in that year, He was out of Texas State, San Marcos, Texas. He was an eighth-round draft pick. Wow. And think of this. In that same draft, four picks apart was Brian Dozier as well in Minnesota. Both guys drafted in the eighth round. Both guys, four picks apart. Both guys have been stars in the major leagues.
1: So this is what I look at it from the Pirates' perspective. That We talked about it a little bit yesterday, the division getting better overall. But you bring in a guy like Goldschmidt, and I thought, okay, they traded for him one year, deal with him one year, get him away. Now five more years of this guy. He doesn't seem like the guy either. His game feels like the type that's, I don't know, not going to just drop off out of nowhere. It feels like he has the longevity for the next five years to be somewhat miserable. The other thing is that St.
0: Louis is one of the best cities in Major League Baseball to play in. Um, the fan base is incredible. They, they, they draw continuously every single year. Uh it's a, it's, a, it's a very comfortable city to live in. You don't have the expectations, or, or I should say, you don't have the hoopla that you have in a New <laughs> York or you have it in L.A. or even a Chicago, for that matter. So, you know, it's kind of this relaxed atmosphere, one of the best franchises on all of baseball. You go through the history of baseball and you start talking about what franchises are great franchises. Obviously, you talk about the Yankees. Obviously, you talk about the Dodgers. And you got to put the Cardinals right up there with them. I mean, you look at the history of the St. Louis Cardinals, you know, and, and part of that goes to this reason, and I real quickly, but think about years ago in the 50s, 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s, there was nothing west of St. Louis. That was the farthest baseball city in the United States. So once you went through the arch, you were there was no baseball out west. So therefore, the St. Louis Cardinals with KMOX, the powerful radio station similar to KDKA, they were able to broadcast into all of those western states out there. So if you were living... In Texas, or you were living in Oklahoma, or you living in anywhere in Missouri, Nebraska, you were a St. Louis Cardinal fan, and the tradition was been tremendous. And then you think about some of the stars that they had over the years, your Dizzy Dean's, and and you go on and with on. Then later, the year, late, years later, with Bob Gibson, et cetera, Enos Slaughter, Stan Musial. So they captured the hearts of a a a generation or two in a vast vast part of the United States. So then all of a sudden you had baseball go out west, then you had eventually Texas get a team, then you eventually had Kansas City get a team. But still, nevertheless, the heart of that Midwest was the St. Louis Cardinals.
1: And you talked about this, and something I want to get to a little bit later, expectations going to new places. St. Louis doesn't feel to me like the type of place where, like you said, like a New York maybe, but it is baseball crazy. So when you go to a New York, like we saw a Giancarlo Stanton last year getting booed, for how many months into that season where fans weren't happy with him? Goldschmidt going to St. Louis, he obviously I mean he's hit three home runs in one game already. He's not feeling the pressure. Are there guys that are just built better to handle that? Or is it just a product of where you are and how you deal with it?
0: Well, one one thing about St. Louis as well, no basketball team, you know, so you don't have an NBA team there. They tried the St. Louis Spirit years ago. Football's been in and out of there and it's yep. never been really a football state. So you know, now you sit there and you say, "What did just like we're talking about Japan? You know, what is the sport in Japan? It's baseball or sumo wrestling. What's the sport in that area? Where St. Louis is? It's baseball. It is baseball. Then you have the Cubs right up the road. So, but in terms of personality, you know, it, it's it's always great to see a guy go to a certain city that kind of fits his personality. And I think St. Louis fits Goldschmidt. Quite frankly, when you think about, you don't hear anything bad ever. About Goldschmidt yeah. never in trouble a model citizen I just stated a few minutes ago Tony La Russa said he's the perfect player alright then you turn around and you say what, what kind of city is st. Louis you know it's it's a Midwestern city it's a less hoopla but baseball is key in st. Louis baseball's king and now Goldschmidt's gonna be able to carry on the legacy of a lot of great Cardinal greats
1: and we're gonna get a chance to see him real soon Like tomorrow, (laughs) home opener Paul Goldschmidt will be here. We'll get a good look at him and that Cardinals team. I wanna talk a little bit more about that. And I wanna look at the lineup, the today's matchup. We got a lot still ahead, but we want to talk about today's stock up and stock down. Brought to you by Fergasco Financial Advisors. We guide for life. The stock up to me, we talked about how impactful Goldschmidt has been. But the stock up is the Brewers. They open the season taking two out of three from the Cardinals. Stock down then. Looks like it's the Cardinals. As we've talked about, the battle back and forth in this division this year, it's going to be a power struggle. The Brewers are a team that sort of, I think, surprised some people last year, looking to sort of set the tone this year that they're for real. They don't want to be the surprise team. They want to be the team that is there from the beginning, maybe start to finish. When you look at the division— Do you see the Brewers as the leader? Is the top team in it? Do you see it as the Cardinals? I have one team, but I want to see who you thought if you had to project out the division this year, who probably wins the title.
0: I would still go with the Cubs. You know, simply because they're they're young, they've got such offense, they've got veteran pitching, and they're going to be able to do something as time goes on. They didn't make any big splashes this winter, but that doesn't mean that the Cubs aren't sitting there saying, when the time is right and with right, right players available. We're going to go make a deal. Um, you can't take anything away from a club that's won a division. Mm-hmm. You just have to always respect that. But then you look at uh, Milwaukee and say, "What did they redo? They, re- they what did they do? They re- re-signed Mike Moustakis. That's really good. You know, they're still sitting there now that they just got hit with losing Jeremy Jeffers as well as Corey Kluber. I mean, Canable, um, uh, Canable, Corey Canable. So they lost two very, very valuable arms yep. in that bullpen now." There's a guy sitting out there, and one thing about Antonasio, he is not afraid to spend money. And this is the one thing I've got tremendous respect for him. I was there when he bought the club. Um, he's a very shrewd businessman, he understands exactly how it all works. And when you think about Milwaukee drawing 3 million fans, one of the smallest fan bases in professional sports, one of the worst or, or the least. Lucrative TV or radio contracts. However, they're willing to get guys in that ballpark and they're willing to go make additions when they have to. What they did last year to bring in the MVP, think about signing a player that, was huge. that ends up winning the MVP for you, trading for a player, and then going on signing Lorenzo Kane, who was original Milwaukee Brewer. You know, they brought him back. So now you think about what this Cub is offensively. Now, that said, you can never count the Cardinals out. So, to me, those are the three clubs to beat.
1: And that's the thing with the Cardinals. I just feel like every year, no matter what the expectations are, they're still in it. They're they're either the team to beat or they're going to fight you to the very end. One uh, team you mentioned that you like is the Cubs this year. You Darvish had a rough outing. Two and two-thirds, gave up two hits, three earned runs, walked seven yesterday. Did you have much experience going against him in Seattle? Yeah. You, you're I, familiar with him, right? Sure,
0: sure. I mean, he signed with Texas, a huge money guy signing out of out of uh, Japan uh, Hugh Darvish was a good pitcher now coming off of an injury mm-hmm. you never know so the one thing you have to be careful with in the middle of the season if you remember let's go back a year ago first month two months of the season everybody was writing the cubs off Yep. you know oh cubs are done yeah but oh yeah okay well then what happened they made a run at the end and uh you know who's who was counting on Milwaukee you know to do what they did you know so i think what happens is when you look at some of these guys like a Hugh Darvish the talent is there but he hasn't pitched, so now he's coming back off an injury. What is Hugh Darvish? Again, it's the same question mark. What is Hugh Darvish? I don't know, but what was Hugh Darvish? He was very good at one time. So what are they going to get remains to be seen, but if he is a talented pitcher, it's just a matter of whether or not he's healthy.
1: Darvish is one of those guys that started his career in the American League, made the move to the National League later on. That's what we're going to see from one of the pitchers in today's matchup. I want to get to that. We'll hear from Clint Hurdle coming up next. Take a look at today's pitching matchup, which features, like I said, a guy going from the American League to the National League. And I want to get Jack's experience, having been in both leagues, ask him about the impact of making that transition, what it does for guys going from one to the other, what the advantages and disadvantages are, Is the Pirates have a guy in Chris Archer that's looking to really settle into the National League this year. That's all coming up still here on Pirates Preview on Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan back on pirates preview show game two of 162 pirates and reds 93.7 the fan will be saluting youth baseball and softball players throughout the year keep listening for details on the community bank player of the game we teased to it talking about today's pitching matchup we got into it a little bit yesterday because it's the same pitching matchup today as we had yesterday today's pitching matchup is brought to you by flynn's auto service your hometown tire and auto service experts Jack and I had talked yesterday about Trevor Williams and what he did last year. The final 13 starts of the year posting the 129 ERA and trying to replicate some of that success this year. There's an interesting piece on MLB.com if you go to the Pirates uh, website about Williams and how he's viewing what he did last year. The second half ERA was 138 overall. They talk about he had a nine-start struggle last year. He allowed 37 runs in 41 innings. That's how bad the first half was as compared to the second half. Williams talked about getting embarrassed and said, I can't repeat that. I can only do better or worse. Jack, from what you've seen of Trevor Williams, does he strike you as the kind of guy with his pitch arsenal and he acknowledges that he knows what he has, hitters know what he has, he's just going to be aggressive and come at them. Does he strike you as the guy with the right sort of mentality to be able to pick up where he left off? Obviously not to the tune of a 129 ERA, but at least carry on that success he had from last year because he said he pitched angry. That's what happened. He got angry at how he pitched early on, carried that into the second half. Does he strike you as the guy that will keep doing that at the beginning of this year and be able to fix the problem he had of that really slow start?
0: The answer is yes, with a caveat. So when they broke spring training – uh, was it Tyler Glassnow that they had given the fifth starter spot mm-hmm. to? And listening to the club in, on spring training and watching what Glassnow had done, et cetera, I thought that Williams should have been the fifth, the other starter. I just thought he was more consistent. You know, he was what he was. He's going he to keep you in ball games all the time. I understood the Glassnow scenario because of the big upside and, you know, all that. All right. Well, then when Williams got his chance, he got shelled in LA, if you remember that yep. first outing. But the thing about Trevor Williams, he's very confident, very. Um, he, he's very succinct in what he does. He knows location. He understands how to add and subtract, move the ball in and out, up and down. He uses all four quadrants in a strike zone. So that said, those are all good, positive things for, for him. Now, I think the ones, the people that will go after him will say, he doesn't have the wipeout pitch. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have that, that slider that some guys have or the changeup or the devastating breaking ball. It's all about location. So, for a guy like this, he has to be fine day in and day out. He has to execute day on and day out. He's been able to do that. Now, as you just stated, is he going to pitch the tune if he did the second half of last year? No, I don't think so. Because, Even he's
1: admitting, probably not. Yeah, who can? <laughs> who
0: can pitch to that tune, you know? But he was on a roll. I think he's a good major league pitcher. Is he a star? I just think we'll have to wait and see to see if he can continue what he's doing. And if, and if this – ability to execute and pitch to the way he pitches if this if this is something that once he's been around the league now for a year that the league doesn't know what they're getting when you face Trevor Williams
1: now I mean forget the fact that he was that good last year one of my favorite things about Trevor Williams was how he got his way to Pittsburgh the Pirates had sent uh, pitching coach Jim Benedict to the Marlins and as part of the compensation it was a Richard Mitchell for Trevor Williams trade. Pirate Scott, Trevor Williams in return, but it was known that that was to complete the trade of the pitching coach. As a GM, did you ever make a move, player for coach or anything like that? Like, how unusual was a move like that? Because that was the first I'd ever heard of it.
0: Well, what was one of the great trades in Pirate history? Uh, Think about this one. They traded Manny Sanguian to the Oakland A's for Chuck Tanner. That's right. You remember that? Yes. Chuck was managing in Oakland. They wanted Oakland. Charlie Finley says, We're not giving you my manager. So let's make a trade. We'll you give me something in return, and it ended up being Manny Sanguin going to Oakland for one year. At the end of that year, Chuck came to Pittsburgh as the manager. At the end of that year, they traded back and brought Manny Sangeon back here, and he became the you know one of the World Series heroes. So it happens. There's time, and, and it's happening a little bit more and more now. Um, it used to be you're not going to stand in somebody's way, you know. But right. now I think that it's a little different now, and I think you'll see a little bit more of this going on.
1: That's what I'd wondered. Were there roles in place before that you could even pull off a deal like this? Because everybody knew the trade was Benedict for Trevor Williams, but they threw in, like, the Richard Mitchell, so it was a player for a player. So do you have to work the system as a general manager to make that deal happen? Like, is there is there a behind-the-scenes deal? Like, we're sending you this guy, then we'll make this trade, and that completes it? Well, I,
0: I will say this. There was another guy involved in that trade, too. It was Mark Felpiano, you know, mm-hmm. who was one of the pro scouts. Mm-hmm. And um, they were uh, – Miami was offering Mark Valpiano the farm director's job.
1: That's right. I remember that. Which,
0: quite frankly, you wouldn't stand in somebody's way to go from a pro scout to a farm director's job. You just wouldn't do that. But then they have this, they they really want Benedict. And, you know, I think Neil just said, no, we're not giving up Benedict and Valpiano unless we get some kind of compensation back. And it ended up, you know, they were very close friends with Mike Berger, who Mike Berger was the assistant GM in, in, uh, in uh, Miami, so there was a personal connection there. And it is end, ended up, that's what happened. So the two two guys went to Miami for uh, for uh, Trevor Williams. And by the way, Mark Valpiano is with somebody else right now. I'm not sure who it is. I can't remember exactly who it is. And Benedict is with the Chicago Cubs right now. So there you go.
1: And that was the thing I remember from the fan perspective when that was going on. Because Benedict was all the talk. Him and Searage were the reclamation guys. They were fixing all these pitchers, and the Marlins were interested in him, and then the scout that they wanted. It felt like the Pirates were getting looted because people had started to recognize, like, they they figured something out here because that was when they had gone from the losing streak to winning. And it it was worrisome seeing you're going to lose Benedict. Can Ray do it on his own? I feel like Ray has proven himself, Ray Searage, the pitching coach, that the reclamation projects can still be done. You can still get the most out of these guys. But then you end up with a Trevor Williams, I'd say, a win-win for the Pirates overall.
0: It was, you know, and I know Jim Benedict real well because we worked together with the Dodgers. Jim was um, minor league coordinator, pitching mm-hmm. coordinator, to bring him to the big leagues as the fixer. You know, if someone had a problem, they'd bring him up here to spend a little time with him. And, and uh, Jim had a great reputation of being able to get into a guy's heads and if he had a chance to work with him for a period of time. But in this particular case, it worked out real well. I mean, that was a really, really good acquisition, a very smart acquisition by the Pirates in acquiring Trevor Williams in this particular deal.
1: On the other side of this pitching matchup today, we have Sonny Gray coming to the Reds via trade with the Yankees. Former All-Star was solid in 2017 with the Yankees, had a rough year last year, a 4.9 ERA. But I'm always intrigued when a guy makes the move from the American League to the National League getting to face the pitcher instead of the DH, and just maybe guys not knowing them right away. Having been in both the National League and American League, is, is that a pretty standard role you can go by that the a guy, a pitcher, specifically from the American League to the National League, you expect to see that uptick?
0: It used to be years ago that when a player went from the National League to the American League, it was more of a struggle for a player than from going from the American League to the National mm-hmm. League. You know, it just for some reason, that's just the way it was. Um but that's changed a lot now because you have interleague play, which now you see interleague teams through the course of the year. You have your natural rivals, if you will, where you're playing every single year in the other league. Pittsburgh's is Detroit, mm-hmm. you know. So and then you're playing all the all the other American league teams. And then you see a lot of guys in spring training. So and guys are jumping clubs more and more than they ever did before, jumping leagues, et cetera. So it's not as prevalent as it was. But that said Sonny Gray coming over, and and I think more of it has to do with, the, here's Sonny Gray, first-round pick by Oakland a few years ago, was a really good pitcher the first couple years there, pitcher's ballpark. He had good stuff, good curveball, great command of his stuff. He's an undersized guy, and by that I mean when you're talking about right-handers that are under six foot tall, uh, there's good ones, no question. But over a period of time, history tells you that those type of guys seem to wear out a little quicker than like the big physical right-handed pitchers. So, you know, Sonny falls into that category. So what is Sonny Gray? I don't know. And now he's headed to a hitter's very, very yeah. hitter-friendly ballpark. So it'll be interesting to see how he approaches this and, and, and how, what, what kind of results he gets.
1: Now, we saw Chris Archer come here, and it always felt anecdotal to me, but I felt like any time I saw a pitcher go American League to National League, I I thought right away, this guy's going to be better. And then A.J. Burnett was like the ultimate proof of that for me when he came here to the Pirates. With Chris Archer, he had those struggles early on making the transition. Is there something to it about just getting settled in still to your new environment for a guy like Archer? Because I'm curious about what we're going to see from him this year. Is there something to be said about getting settled in when he'd never been moved before? He was in the Rays organization, came up with them, was with the Rays. His first trade struggled a little bit, then started to figure it out and look better last year. Did you ever deal with that with players that had never been with the team before or on any other team? Let's
0: back up one second. Chris Archer was traded a couple times prior to that. He was originally a Cleveland.
1: In the minors? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. But
0: but your point is at the major league level, level, right. So now he's established himself. But – the thing was, Chris Archer was prepared for this trade because he's been hearing his name out there for two years. I being thought the trade. Pirates
1: were going to trade for him like two years yeah, ago. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, his name
0: flew everywhere. I tried to acquire him a couple years ago when I was in uh, Seattle. Oh, really? You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it didn't go anywhere. He was he was pretty good for them, so they weren't going to move him. But it is it is a change. You know, when a guy gets its personality, it's, it's different teammates, it's a different catcher you're throwing to. There's a lot of things, and everybody, it, every individual is different. Some guys hit the ground running like they walk in the locker room and like, here I am, the savior, you guys can rally around me because I'm the Verlander, I'm taking it to the next level, yep. you know. And then there are other guys that personality-wise it takes them a little time to get acclimated. Sometimes it's just coincidental. You'll get a guy when he's going through a really good stretch, and – you'll get a guy sometimes when he's not going through a good stretch and then and he just has to figure it out, you know. So new pitching coach, new environment, new ball field, new league. But you would expect Chris Archer to be pretty good except for the fact that he's a year older. But the issue is, I mean, he's been a big strikeout guy and now he's pitching without a designated hitter. And by the way, he was pitching in the American League East. Yeah. So, you know, when you're going against Boston, you're going against New York on a regular basis, eight, uh, 19 times a year, you know, it's that it, your your advantage of going to anywhere else in baseball you think would work on your on, on to your benefit.
1: So you talk about the different personalities and when you trade for them. If you get the guy that's sort of the laying back a little bit, and you have to get that out of him, who does that fall on? Is that the manager to try and bring him in, or is it like inside the clubhouse? Is it the team of trying to create that bond and make him part of the twenty five guys that are there?
0: a lot of everything. Okay. You know, we, we we made a trade one year um for Austin Jackson from Detroit, mm-hmm. you know, who was our starting center fielder. We were really excited. And um Austin Jackson had like the month of July hit like three sixty, you know, and so we're figuring, okay, we're getting it we didn't have a center fielder. We were playing with two young kids out there. And we thought that Abraham Elmonte and, and uh, a guy named Jones, James Jones, you know, so now we got a veteran guy who's been there. He's on a winner in Detroit. He had terrible August. I mean, it was just (laughs) brutal. You know, he came over, high expectations. Everybody wrapped their arms around him, but it was just like, you know, just he played there, and we missed the playoffs that year by one game. You know, we're like, hey, we here we are. You know, we got our center fielder. He just didn't. He had a horrible August. He had an okay September. So you just never know. You know, you you hope you hope you get a guy. I remember when I was with the Mets many years ago. We were chasing the Cardinals. We were chasing the, the Cubs. This was before the 86 World Series team, mm-hmm. 82, 83, 84, 85. Like every year, Cardinals make a trade. They get the perfect guy that comes in, and all of a sudden, ah, oh, they got the guy that got him over the top. The next year, boom, they got the guy. You know, they just went there, and they they uh, excelled. You know, And as a result, we were still building, and we ended up, you know, finally in 86, we caught everybody and won a World Series.
1: And that's what it, it, you mentioned the Cardinals. That's my nightmare team as a Pirates fan. It, felt, it feels like every year they find a new guy, just put him in. Yeah, he just fits right away, and he's crushing it again for them. Paul Goldschmidt this year, the guy we talked about earlier, just the nightmare. But let's take a look around the league now, Jack. The look around the league brought to you by Fox Chapel Advanced Dental Care. Uh, Bryce Harper hit his first home run as a member of the Phillies, and something we had talked about is going to a new team and expectations – And I wanted to sort of ask you, I mean, you had the experience of signing Robinson Cano to that big deal in Seattle. When a guy signs that kind of deal, is it just about his personality and how he can handle it? Or is there no way that there's not some sort of pressure they feel? Because I imagine for Harper, getting that first home run this early is probably a weight off the shoulders.
0: Again, it gets down to personality. But, you know, a lot of guys view themselves, although even, even at the time that he came out of high school, um, you have to go back in the history of Bryce Harper because he never graduated high school. He took mm-hmm. the GED so he could be eligible for the draft, et cetera. You know? So uh, that's an extraordinary circumstance. But he always was the guy. You know? I mean, even in, So there in Washington, even though he wasn't making the money, his bonus was through the roof, he had all the expectations on him. Now he goes to Philadelphia after this fanfare. Manny Machado goes to San Diego. You, know, you have all this different fanfare, and it can affect the player. You know, I mean, everyone's expecting you to be the savior. Um, The great part of it is one of the best hitting parks in baseball. So when when Bryce Harper or even Andrew McCutcheon, for that matter, or anybody else that they acquire gets to go from a pitcher-friendly ballpark to a hitter-friendly ballpark, let alone one of the best. If you're going to be a hitter, hey, I want to play in Cincinnati. I want to play in Texas. I want to play in Toronto. I want to play in Philadelphia those are places where an offensive player can really, really excel. So I think some of that will play into Harper. I think when Harper hits a couple baseballs that, that are like five feet over the fence, you know, as opposed to a fly out of yeah. the warning track compared to what, he was, what it was in Washington, he's going to be real happy that he's in Philadelphia.
1: Well, I'm glad you mentioned Andrew McCutcheon because that was something else I wanted to ask you about then. McCutcheon in Philly, I feel like this is the first time in his career at the major league level he's not on a team where he's looked at to be the guy in the middle of the lineup. Do you have expectations for him this year? Because we saw those last couple of years were not the Andrew McCutcheon anybody remembered. Do you think there's a chance he gets back to that with the the lowered expectations hitting leadoff for the Phillies a little bit now and just the protection he has that he, frankly, we'd heard him say here in Pittsburgh wanting more protection in the lineup. He didn't have a ton of it last year in San Francisco, but looks like a different ballgame for him in Philly now.
0: Well, it could be, but you know, he is a number of years older, you know, and you know, he doesn't throw like he did at one time, although he never threw great. He's was, you know, he's he's lost some steps in terms of still in bases or defense in the outfield, although he's playing a corner now, which is good, but it's all going to be about offense, you Mm -hmm. know, and the fact that he is for the first time in a real hitter friendly ballpark. So that should, that should really benefit him. And I think if you look at the numbers, I think McCutcheon's always been a really, really good hitter in Philadelphia. So. What is McCutcheon, let's say, three years removed from the Pirates, three years older from the Pirates, uh, a, a surrounding cast around him that was better than maybe he had here? It It's hard to say because you don't know how much age is going to tie into it. The positive is he's in a really good ballpark to be a real good
1: hitter. Now he's a leadoff hitter there. How When he first came up here and then his career progressed, there was always talk about where he belonged in the lineup. Where do you see Maybe throughout his career, what sort of hitter he was. I always thought more of like the one or two hitter they wanted to hit him second here, and he didn't. He didn't want to. He wanted yeah. Well, to they did
0: make it. They did put him in a second spot. Yeah, and that,
1: that didn't go all that well. No, and he wasn't not, too happy no, about not it. Not at all. So, do you view him in a player like that? Because his skill set is so different, and that he gets on, but he has power too. To me, that felt like it had always been a great leadoff hitter, and that's what he gets to be in Philly now.
0: Yeah, well, look at Barry Bonds. I mean, Barry Bonds was leadoff hitter here in Pittsburgh for a number of years, you know, until finally he became a three-hitter. But because he could steal bases, you know, great, great offensive type of guy, you know, to doing so many different things. But um, guys will matriculate to it. And today, in today's game, you don't see a lot of legitimate leadoff hitters. You just – the prototypical Richie Ashburns from years gone by, uh, Brett Butlers from years gone by, you know, Willie McGee's from years gone by. You don't see those type of guys. Um, so as a result, oftentimes your leadoff hitter is by default. Somebody gets into the leadoff spots because they think they can get on base and your surrounding cast allows you to, to, to put a particular guy in the leadoff spot. And that's the case with him in
1: Philadelphia. Well, Jack, we heard from Clint Hurdle yesterday. Probably not a lot for him to talk about today, but I listened to it a little bit before. We're going to hear Clint Hurdle now. Talked about what he did with that a little extra time off because of the uh, postponed game.
0: Get some reading
2: done? I did. I actually read a book nice. the two times off. And I watched more NCAA basketball and last three days and I had all year. <laughs> it's a good time to watch. But has, it, has anything at all changed since the last time we spoke to you after before the rain ran out? Changed according to what What are you asking that's changed? That
0: mean anything. Why don't you see, is, is, Oh, it, is, well, that's
2: just a broad question. <laughs> anything change? Yeah, the dates changed. <laughs>
0: Fair
2: enough. So. Um, Trevor's starting today. Any other questions past that? Tyone's starting tomorrow. Any questions past that?
1: Tyone's tomorrow, and Archer.
2: Uh, I'm sorry, Archer.
1: That would have That would have <laughs> We're
2: talking about change. <laughs> Archer, that would be 4 1. 4-2 would be off. Uh, 4-3 would be Jameson, correct? Mm-hmm. 4-4 Lyles. Now 4-5 Musgrove and 4-6
1: Williams. Musgrove just throwing extra side or? Yeah.
2: No, he may pitch today. Okay. That's James. He, he needs to pitch. Yeah, but I don't like broad questions. I mean, it makes your job way too easy. It's like, you know, Go ahead and ask some questions that you thought about and put some thought to, instead of me just trying to paint a landscape and hit what you're what you're thinking of asking. Fair enough. So Joe could be available today at the
0: bullpen. What's that? Joe could be available. Yes. Tim kills my next question. I was just going to say, what do you think?
2: I think Texas Tech played really well last night. Very. I'm not a basketball guy, but it was fun to watch. Did the guys hit yesterday to stay sharp inside? Yes, yes. We weren't allowed on the field, so (laughs) we did a lot of work inside.
0: What went into the decision? I know with a lot of off days the first three weeks, you probably could have won four starters for a little while. What made you decide to go with five right out of the gate?
2: Ray likes giving a a sixth day to these starters coming out of the blocks. He always has. Um, That's a big part of it. And when you're talking about guys' mindset of making 32 starts, it's not a sprint. Um, So to build in some time early and to get also a guy that you want to commit to up and running, this is the best way we feel to also help Jordan get up and running uh, and still keep the other guys in play with opportunities to pitch somewhat regular, five, six days, at the end of the day, it's about getting everybody in the best position possible through the first two weeks to get some consistency and some routines built up. Is part of that at all the change in intensity or adrenaline? Guys are going from spring to now this is the regular season. An extra day can help with their recovery. There's no doubt. It's so different. I don't even know if I can quantify it. I know as a player it was so different. Um, it's what it is. It's spring training. And, and these games are, are real games. So from a pitching standpoint, that's something that I just I listen to them and get feedback from them. It's, it's definitely more intense.
1: How does the dynamic of that lineup change? Lineup on the other side with Puig, and they're added kind of a different different presence to that lineup. Sure,
2: they they had a strong offensive lineup last year, and they've added some guys that can help that fortify that, whether it's P- Puig or whether it's Kemp. The um, combination um, so we faced them before it's not going to catch anything off guard we know where we need to attack we know how we need to attack and we know where we need the areas we need to stay out of especially with camp Kemp did some damage against us last year
1: is that a different could this be a different dynamic too with their rotation they've Roark
0: now they and Wood when he gets healthy Castillo looked good yesterday I don't want to take too much from one game but you've seen him good 2017 too could that because they could always hit, even when they were having some trouble off the mound. Like, did that add a different dynamic to that, that rotation is?
2: I think it's been beat, beat on pretty well this winter of all the improvements on paper and the personnel that they've added. Now it's their opportunity, like everybody else, to go out and play and pitch. They've added some guys that have some street cred within the league that have done some things, whether it be Gray or Rourke. Um So it's a ball club that uh, I think they feel a lot of uh, adrenaline over there. Uh, I think the city feels a little bit of a shot in the arm um, by the number of people that were out for the parade. I think it's over 150,000. That's pretty pretty inclusive. Um, they've, uh, they've gone through some tough sledding, and they want to get back in the right place and get back to the postseason. It's been a number of years since they have. So those additions on the mound, those additions, uh, in the lineup, as well as picking up another shortstop that was able to fill in for Jeanette that went down in Glacier. So uh, they, had a, uh, they had a busy offseason. Oh,
0: well, I was going to ask you earlier. I apologize for cutting off. Oh, here. you're okay. Um, do you like the way that the season seemed to start with you guys getting heavy into playing divisional games for the first bit of the season?
2: You know, I I think for those that have been around me, your schedule gets set. It doesn't matter whether you like it or you don't like it, you prepare for it. Um, And again, everybody plans on getting out of the blocks clean. And when you do, that's great. When you don't, what do you do next? So we've got a bulk of games in front of us, the first, what is it, 14 or 15, um, that we're in the division. It, It should be fun. However, when you get outside of the division, that's where we had some challenges last year. Wasn't so much in the division. We'll see how it plays out. Um, It's more opportunity for us to play against people we know better, we have more experience with, probably, which we'll see how that plays out.
1: First time in a while you haven't had to write an opening day DH into the lineup, either. (laughs) Yeah. That was Clint Hurdle. We're gonna hear or we're gonna talk more about today's matchup coming up next. We'll get you today's lineup. I'll tell you about the one Pirates player in today's lineup that has pretty great career numbers against Red Starter Sonny Gray, and we'll look at what yesterday's postponement does to the rotation. That's all coming up next on Pirates Preview. Pirates Preview back for one more second segment before we send it off to Great American Ballpark for Game Two. The second time we'll send it to Great American Ballpark for Game Two of the season. Let's check out today's lineup. Today's starting lineup is brought to you by the Rogers Insurance Group. The power of relationships is how we do business. Jack, uh, not a lot different from yesterday. In fact, the exact same lineup. Frazier, Marte Dickerson, Bell Cervelli-Gung, Cabrera-Gonzalez, Trevor Williams on the mound for the Pirates. The one change that we saw from the opener to the second game for the Reds is Matt Kemp in the lineup hitting fifth. Matt Kemp has somewhat decent numbers, albeit in a small sample size against Trevor Williams, two for five, but he has two or three for five with two doubles and three RBIs. I teased ahead, though, to the Pirates player that has seen Sonny Gray enough to have decent numbers, and that's Corey Dickerson, 5 of 17, two home runs, four RBI in his career, 294 average, 925 OPS. I have, I said it yesterday, I, I'll say it again today, I have high expectations for him after a pretty good opener in game one. Yeah,
0: he, and again, he's hitting in a three spot, so it'll be interesting to see how he approaches his game this year. Last year he went to uh, try to hit for average, which he did. Um, he has had power in the past, so it'll be interesting to see the, the, the little switch for him in the lineup and, and how he produces for the Pirates. They're counting on him to drive in runs.
1: Melky Cabrera in the lineup for the Pirates today has 13 at-bats against Gray in his career, a two thirty-one average, just three hits, two doubles, but at least he has seen him because not many other Pirates have. You have Eric Gonzalez one for five, Marte 0 for three. J.B. Shuck actually has three at-bats against him, also 0 for three. So it'll be really interesting to see Sonny Gray making that debut for Cincinnati, moving to the National League, and not a whole lot of the Pirates familiar with him. That has to think, like we had talked about, moving from the American League to the National League, guys just not knowing you, that has to help Gray today, I would think, right?
0: Well, it should, but it depends on your stuff. Sure. So if you're sitting up there and you're looking at a really nice fastball to hit – you know, it doesn't matter where he played, what league he was in, or who he is. You know, if it's a good ball to hit, you're going to hit it. So, you know, I, I'm curious to see how he pitches in a small ballpark and what is the sunny Gray that I knew from, like, five years ago.
1: Yeah, because the player that you saw a lot was the dominant athletics pitcher. I mean, he was an all-star at one point. But, like we had talked about earlier last year, a really rough year for the Yankees, and they were just ready to move on from him, it seemed. Uh, The injury report for today brought to you by WMC Western PA Physicians in Robinson and Imperial. We have some news on Jordan Lyles was on the I.L. with a side injury Threw 92 pitches in six innings during his simulated game on Friday. They had him throw another eight in the bullpen just to get 100. But we found out today that Lyles is now slated to pitch on Thursday for the Pirates. Joe Musgrove will start on Friday. And actually, Hurdle said, as we heard earlier, that Musgrove could be used out of the bullpen today. Do you think that they will find a way to get him into the game, having skipped his turn in the rotation, wanting to keep him fresh? Or is it like if, if they can use him, they will, but they won't force it?
0: Yeah, in a perfect world, you know, what you hope for is William goes seven, and then you turn it over to eight and nine, and right. it's all over to, to Keona Kela and uh, Vasquez, you know. That's what you would hope for. But in a scenario where you might mix and match or you might get a guy in an inning or so, or – Depending on what happens to Williams today, if you need a guy to give you some innings, then I could see him going earlier, you know, to. um, uh, To Musgrove. Musgrove. So it's more likely that
1: we would just see him in a role where Williams doesn't last long, not maybe thrown into the seventh inning, per se.
0: Not necessarily, okay. I wouldn't think so, because you have guys, I mean you have a Kyle Crick who's got to get him in a game and he's a seventh inning guy. You want to get Rodriguez back on a mound after the home run he gave up the other day. So those are the guys that you're gonna be depending on during the course of the year to get you to the seventh inning.
1: Well with minor league baseball still not in action until April fourth, that's our down on the farm report, because that's where Lyles was pitching. Today's farm report is brought to you by Western PA Kubota Dealers. Jack, we got about 30 seconds here. We'll wrap things up with our picks to perform, brought to you by Oxford Athletic Club of Wexford, Pittsburgh's premier athletic resort. Who is your pick to perform today?
0: Well, I'm going to still back what I gave you the other day because you gave me the first choice. I took Dickerson. I broke your heart. But I'm going with Dickerson today. You seeded it to me yesterday. Today, not so uh, kind. Hey,
1: yep,
0: it's it. I'm pulling them back.
1: That's funny. All right, well, I'm going to go with Melky Cabrera. He has at least seen Sonny Gray to give me some hope that – he he knows what to expect from him today. But that wraps it up for us on Pirates Preview. We get ready to send you to Great American Ballpark for game two. Hopefully the weather looks fine of 162 between the Pirates and Reds. We really
0: need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch.